OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes, we are back bringing you another installment in the Searching for Ceiling installment brought to you by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. As you know, I am Hilo. I will be joined here shortly by Rich Rybar. You know him from Sharp Football Analysis. You know all about him, so we'll save you those pleasantries. Looking back on week one, week one was the week of we don't know anything. It was you know nothing, Jon Snow. And week if, if week one was that, week two is more we think we know more than we actually know. So coming into week two, that's going to play an integral kind of piece of this pie as we kind of dissect this slate, the what some of these game environments, and kind of what we're looking to in this hunt for untapped upside. And with that, welcome. Let's get going. One week season. Rich, week two, NFL DFS is upon us. How are we doing this week, man? We're doing good. We're getting in the, the workflow. This is like the first like official work week because, you know, week one affords the opportunity to work ahead a little bit. Uh, but this was like like the first like full on like work week like from Sunday night football ending till, you know, we kick off on Sunday it's like yeah NFL in the workflow week is back so it's been an adjustment period uh we're, we're a couple weeks out from bye weeks but I'm glad to have it back in us to kind of like mount some of the sample we got off to a, a decent start on Thursday night too because week one wasn't the prettiest football that we that we've seen uh yeah uh, I had some some data on this it was the fewest offensive touchdowns scored in week one since 2017 it was the second fewest of the past decade it was the lowest yards for pass attempt in week one for the league in the 2000s uh and we had 12 games go uh under the game total but we yeah. kicked off week two with an over so let's get some more overs this week Here's to uh, here's to hope, right? <laughs> Cheers. Um, we, we t- that's interesting you bring that up because we talked a lot about that late week um, at one week season last week about yep. the fact that since that 2022 COVID year, which NFL teams yeah. were averaging 2.88 touchdowns per team per game, they were down last year all the way into the low 2.4s, 2.43 around there. Um, so the fact that this kind of shift in the overall macro perspective of the NFL is kind of we're kind of on the downtrend right now as far as scoring goes um we theorized that a lot of that is to do with this kind of league-wide shift to a a too high or a cover two type shell which looks very similar pre-snap to opposing quarterbacks from there teams can run quarters they can run cover four they can run cover six they can do all kinds of this weird stuff they can cheat a guy down in the box depending on um situational defensive play calling tendencies but the fact that like kind of the the base shell of NFL defenses looks very similar, um, I think. And we've seen this from guys like Patrick Mahomes, from guys like Joe Burrow talking about, oh, we're trying to figure out how we how we tackle cover too. Um, so I, from a theoretical standpoint and watching the games and, and digging into what the NFL is right now, that's kind of where my mind is at as far as this scoring suppression. Do you have any quick takes on on the causal factors of what we're seeing here? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things. I think definitely that's a defensive meta, like shifting, and then we're looking for an offensive counterpunch. We've also seen that with that, the NFL defenses are just more willing to let teams run. And I think Thursday night yeah. was a great example of that. I mean, you look at Brian Flores' approach to that game last night, 
he did not care about the, the the run game at all with the Philadelphia Eagles. And it took the Eagles like three drives to kind of calibrate and realize like, we'll just run for six yards every play. But for like three drives, yeah. they were dropping back and trying to be aggressive. And what's funny is Flores still got beat over the top twice by Devontae Smith in that game. Yeah. Uh, but you saw that like even when the Eagles adjusted, like they didn't care. Like the Vikings were just like, whatever, because the best version of the run is still worse than the verse the worst version of the pass. And we saw it in the NFL when EPA per play and yards per carry were at all time highs and yards per pass attempt and EPA per drop back were at like lows of the last 20 years. It was still passing yeah. was more efficient than rushing, but defenses have caught on to where it's like, cause typically and this is like Brandon Staley was like kind of at like the forefront of this a little bit and like the wide nine stuff. They yeah. were like, you can keep running on us because we want you to eventually either make a mistake or have these 12 play drives to score on us and even with four turnovers on offense the vikings were in that game like they were in that game if they don't have those turnovers like they've got a shot still even giving up 200 rushing yards yeah and that's interesting i think that's going to lead us into one of the first games that i want to talk about today is this propensity to kind of just show opposing offenses that like we dare you to run because we know that like we we know that we have seven people protecting that area of the field uh plus um and then on the back end we know we don't want to give up chunk plays um, two of the defensive coordinators that kind of took that to the extreme in week one were in Buffalo and in Miami. And we saw it with Miami where Vic Fangio was just kind of like, LA, go run the football. We're just going to let you do that. We don't want to get beat. We know we have an explosive offense. We can kind of answer anything that happens. And Kellen Moore kind of just took that and, and quote unquote ran with it. Right. I mean that Joshua Kelly was seeing 15, 16 carries Austin Eckler in that same range, um, 40 carry on pushing 40 carries as a team. And then when you look at Buffalo, they ran 100% of their defensive snaps from nickel cover three, which blew my mind when I looked at it and I saw that number that is very telling. And that's going to lead into kind of one of these game environments that we're going to talk about today being Las Vegas and Buffalo. So I'll throw it over to you from there. What are you seeing from this uh, Raiders-Bills game from week two? Well, outside of the obvious kind of like flop lag spot for Josh Allen, you know, it's just a really good spot for him. Uh, we saw this with a couple quarterbacks, right? Like you, you've got this growing sample now where the, the Jets, obviously a good defense against everybody have really been kind of a, a kryptonite for Josh Allen uh, these yeah. past three meetings since the start of last year. I mean, since the start of last year, he's now played three games, then 5.8 yards for pass attempt against the Jets, 7.7 yards for pass attempt against everybody else. Uh, since his rookie season, Josh Allen has averaged 24 fantasy points per game, 23.8 as a home favorite of a touchdown or more. We're getting that here. And then, and from a matchup stance, it's also a good matchup against the Raiders who not only did they allow the most yards per drive in the NFL in week one to a Broncos team that was pretty awful in the preseason. And we're still trying to calibrate what they are with Sean Payton and was down Jerry Judy lost Greg Dulcich in the yeah. early in that game. Uh, they were still 28th in passing points allowed for pass attempts. So it's like, it's a huge spot for Josh Allen. Obviously people are going to get the digs, but the guy that stands out to me from like an upside stance is Gabe Davis. Uh, you know, since the start of last year, Gabe Davis 
uh, yards per route run against man coverage, 0.72 yards per route run, 13.3% target share against man coverage. But against zone coverage-based teams, 1.81 yards per route run, more than double, 18.2% team target share. Raiders played zone coverage 85% of the time last week against that Broncos team, missing all of those pieces, uh, yeah. you know, offensively. So, it, it, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, valiant efforts have been put forth trying to guess Gabe Davis weeks. But yeah. uh, I would say if there is a if there is like a signal because Josh Allen's going to be popular, uh, yeah. getting Gabe Davis, I think, in your stacks with Josh Allen is a way to get unique. I 100 percent agree to tack on to all of that awesome knowledge that you just dropped. The Josh Allen was under pressure 24 percent of the time of his dropbacks in week one against the Jets. The Raiders were able to generate pressure at only a 10.8% rate against Denver. So this should be relatively telling as far as time in pocket, as far as time to throw goes, as far as allowing um, a guy like Gabe Davis to um, allow his routes to develop downfield. Uh, so I like that call a lot. I think you can do a lot of cool, interesting things with the Buffalo Bills kind of as a as an, a complete entity, really. I mean, we have a guy like... Um, Dalton Kincaid, who was in the slot over 50% of the time. We have a guy like Dawson Knox, who we know is this red zone threat. Both of them were on the field at extreme rates, um, kind of more so than we thought coming into the season when we were drafting Dalton Kincaid in best ball. I mean, his snap rate was um, was excellent, border pushing 80%. His slot snap rate was excellent, over 50%. So this is a situation where um, we kind of have a fairly good idea of what the primary pass game pieces are going to be moving forward. And I think you can do a lot of fun stuff um, attacking downfield against this Raiders team. And then um, once they get in the red zone, we should see, which is an interesting thing because they didn't, they only had like 1.5, yeah. we'll say red zone drives against the jets. Um, so we haven't really seen what to expect with this heavy package in the red zone yet. Um, and kind of leveraging that before the field catches on is a, a definite place for leverage. Um, what about the other side of that game? What about the Raiders? Any good reads on this situation this week? I mean, it looks like it's going to be like a pretty tight, you know, funnel, right? Obviously, it looks like we're not going to get Jacoby Myers to play. Uh, so that kind of throws her interesting. He obviously was one of the biggest hits for like week one. Um, so we removed Jacoby Myers. So we'll probably get a little more Hunter Renfro. The, the Raiders ran 11 personnel at one of the lowest rates in the league last week. Yeah. So it was just literally Myers and Adams on the field. They also were pretty slow. That game was a really weird game, the Denver game. Both teams only had like six official possessions, which is yeah. crazy low for because it was just a lot of like short passing and a lot of efficient passing. And neither team really got off the field. Um, but we'll probably have a lot more volume here. Uh, but it, it just looks like it's going to be like the Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs show, right? Like it's the, like the, yeah. the Raiders appear to be an offense. Like the, it's going to be like a tight core of guys getting the ball and we remove one of those pieces in Jacoby Myers. Uh, Jacobs usage was still really good last week. You didn't have the run out, but he had 91% of the team backfield touches. He played 80% yeah. of the snaps. Um, you know, you talked about the bills playing a lot of that, uh, you know, cover three and a lot of, you know, uh, their base defense was nickel. Uh, a lot of light boxes and they had the same problem that they had last year. So like the bills were a really weird team last year against the run. Cause they were really good at like ge generating contact uh, at uh, pre uh, uh, getting like uh, allowing a low yards for contact uh, per carry to running backs. Uh, mm -hmm. But then they were terrible at yards after contact. You have all these splash runs last year. They were actually 32nd yeah. in the NFL. And that's the same thing that happened in week one against the jets. They, 
Uh, they, they were good at getting their eighth in the NFL in yards allowed to running back carries uh, prior to contact. And then they were dead last in the NFL. Obviously, you know, Brees Hall was out the gates twice. His first two carries went for 109 yards. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and it was the same good. problem. <laughs> and then you go back to a year ago, like that was Josh Jacobs' MO. He was a guy that broke tackles. He broke a lot of long runs uh, last year for like the first time in his career. So like, do we get a chance where Josh Jacobs uh, has a chance to kind of pop one? Because paying up at running back this week is is, it's kind of gross at the top right like it's it's already like not good uh the main slate obviously we have two Monday night games we had the eagles play last night in the vikings but we removed a lot of running backs from the board it's really christian mccaffrey and like a lot of guesswork at running back this week yeah and talking uh, a little bit more about that specific situation for josh jacobs this week is uh, tremaine edmonds is obviously gone he's one of the best um, all around inside linebackers in the league uh, for Buffalo. And if if I'm sitting in Josh McDaniel's shoes and I'm being shown nickel cover three kind of across the board of, over my first two snaps, I'm game planning to get Josh Jacobs 30 plus carries. That's just how I'm going to attack that against the Bills. Um, so when you talk about this like chess match and and we don't know if the Bills kind of ran that matchup specifically for the Jets, but what was telling to me is they stayed in nickel cover three after Aaron Rodgers left the game, right. which is like, it's kind of like that might've been a, a telling um, a, a, we'll say a predictive metric uh, as far as moving forward. So that's an interesting situation. Josh Jacobs, as you mentioned, um, has a clear path to, I think 28, 30 plus <laughs> uh, running back opportunities here. If he's going to be in on 80% of the snaps, if he's seeing, 88, 91% of the team's running back opportunities. So that's a very interesting setup. And I think you can you can game stack that. And it feels weird because typically we're like, okay, we want the running back on the uh, team that is favored. We want home favorite. All those metrics that we kind of have looked at over the previous three to five seasons. That's not the case for Josh Jacobs. But what is the case is we have Josh Allen and a Buffalo Bills team who came out flat in week one. They had four turnovers. Um, they are very much. And if you look at like, I would, I would classify Josh uh, Allen as like Tom Brady esque in how he approaches holding and possessing the football. Every play, this guy wants to get better. He wants to succeed. And he basically in conjunction with his coaching staff, run their offense that way. They are always trying to score on every possession. It's not like a Kyle Shanahan in 2022, 2023, where they know they got the defense behind them and they're just trying to, um, they're not necessarily trying to score as many points every week. Josh Allen and these Buffalo Bills are that. So now that they have a soft matchup against Las Vegas, they're not expected to be pressured in the backfield a whole heck of a lot. We can expect them to largely be the driving factor in this game environment. And when I'm looking at the Raiders and how we expect them to respond, it's like their offense was extremely concentrated in week one. It, like you said, it was just Jacoby Myers, it was Devontae Adams, and it was Josh Jacobs. So if that's the case and you remove one of those pieces, we're kind of back into the realm that we were attacking so hard last season where it was right. like almost every week we're playing either Devontae Adams or Josh Jacobs. So uh, that's a very interesting um, game environment, I think, for me this week. I'm playing around with trying to fit like a Buffalo stack with either Josh Jacobs or Devontae Adams. I think that's a very, very solid range of outcomes play as a core of a lineup this week, uh, particularly in single entry and three max. Um, any closing 
uh, remarks on that game environment. I, I will say that, that not so much for a DFS stance, but I, I'm not like concerned, but I, I have to question the Bills approach too with the Dalton Kincaid thing. Like the amount of 12 personnel they played, like I feel like is not conducive to like Josh Allen's strengths as an NFL player. Like they're trying, it's like almost yeah. like constricting the field for Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen is a freewheeling type of player and you're going to live with some of the down plays that you have for him because his highs are so good and he makes plays that uh, only a fine percentile of NFL quarterbacks can make. But now like, like just get it. Like this team is screaming for a speed wide receiver. And like, it feels like they're like condensing the field for Josh Allen seems like an overall net negative. Yeah. Yeah. I would echo those remarks a hundred percent. Now looking at like the rest of the, the, we'll call it the state of the slate, like the, the overall macro perspective, like top down view of the slate here. There's the only the one game in Kansas city and uh, Jacksonville that carries a game total of 50 or more. That's currently installed at 51. Then we have three or four games here in this magic range, we like to call it, um, somewhere around 47, 47 and a half points. We've got the Seattle Seahawks, the Detroit Lions. I'm going to come back to that one because there's some interesting things to talk about from that one. We have this Bills and Raiders game that we talked about. We have, um, oh, the, the Ravens and the Bengals at 46 and a half. So outside of that, we've got a whole ton, a whole heck of a lot of games that are hovering in this low 40s game total, high 30s game total range. When you when we talk about those three game environments, is there any one in those three that kind of sticks out more than the others uh, when you're looking to attack the slate? Yeah, I think outside of the because I want to leave Cincinnati, Baltimore, Kyle, we can maybe get to it because I think that's yeah. just like one where like people are just going to like say like, well, we'll play the Bengals guys again. Right. You know, uh, we'll get back to that. But I mean, Seahawks Lions, I think, just has a lot of layers to it. Uh, obviously, we're going to have like really core pieces like Amon Ross St. Brown because, you know, no Tyreek on the main slate, no Justin Jefferson, no Eagles wide receivers again. They all played last mm-hmm. night. So it just high, it just like el- further elevates Amon Ross St. Brown in what is a really good matchup. We saw Seattle have really big problems over the middle of the field. That, that was a continuous problem for them last year. Uh, and, you know, Jared Goff was so good against the middle of the field against Seattle last year. He was 15 to 20 in, the, in, in between the numbers against Seattle last year. And that was in a game where Amon Ross sat out. So we're going to have like Amon Ross make a really core play for a lot of people. And I think just yeah. the natural, the natural bring back, even due to price. And he had really good usage in week one will be Kenneth Walker. But so how do we get unique around this game around those two pieces? Because they're going to be really popular. And there are a number of ways to get there to me on the Detroit side, like kind of the, the most like kind of obvious one where, where Seattle's vulnerable is Sam Laporta. Uh, you know, we want to attack Seattle in the middle of the field. They didn't give up a ton of receptions to Rams tight ends, but they still had 14 yards per target to the, on the, the targets that, you know, uh, Matthew Stafford did target Rams tight ends. They were still 31st in the league in that department. They were really bad against tight ends last year. So we still kind of want to attack there to feel these cheap, always adding the, the, the tight end to like kind of your bring backs too is, is a nice way to get like unique with stacking. We don't see it a lot, but it is kind of advantageous. Um, and then on the Seattle side, it's just like they had an all time terrible run out. They were in 14 plays in the second half last week. Like that's, that's absolutely ludicrous. It was the fewest in a game since 2008 in the second half of a game. Yeah. That's why it's a terrible run out. They lose both their tackles. Uh, they're, they, they're the side that looks like people have a tough time buying in on, uh, again, uh, it's only Friday when we're doing this show, but roster ship for the Seattle side outside of Kenneth Walker looks pretty low in a game environment that had 90 total points, you know, 93 to be exact last year. Um, in this Detroit defense, 
while they were improved in week one, like they had some things kind of break their way with the Chiefs losing Kelsey 48 hours before the game. The Chiefs receivers yeah. kind of put some stuff down. So I do think that is kind of like a spot to where like maybe the Seattle guys are going to come in a little under-owned. And to me, I still look at it like from a from like a who you pick out of these wide receivers as like where DK Metcalf still stands out. The first half kind of he had the usage that we were looking for. He had the usage that they had last year with him where he was like a full field wide receiver uh, for the first time in his career last year. And then also just when you look at Aaron Glenn and his history of, you know, playing defense aggressively, I mean, he played man coverage 32% of the time in this week four matchup a year ago. That was the third highest rate Seattle faced last season. And then for DK Metcalf in his career against man coverage, he's been targeted on 31 and a half percent of his routes against man coverage compared to just 21 and a half percent against zone coverage. Like that's a significant difference. It's a 10% target rate per route. Uh, difference and in that game you know he had the 149 yards so I mean I think when you look at like where this wide receiver landscape is on this particular slate with the top of the field kind of being peeled away just based on the primetime games like when I'm looking at wide receivers that have like true like 20 to 30 point games in their range of outcomes like DK Metcalf looks like he's going to be a pretty soft on the ownership on that uh, like coming into this weekend yeah, just from a like theoretical perspective, too, you look at the field who is likeliest going to be attacking Amon Ra and then um, Seattle backfield. Flipping that on its head and like running Jameer Gibbs with DK Metcalf, you're immediately gaining exposure in a way that is different than the field um, and not sacrificing upside. I mean, you look at I, I and Jameer Gibbs is an interesting case because he's getting some hype this week. He is you know, we have the coaching the coaching speak. That says we're going to continue to get him uh, more touches as the season progresses. But then he came out, Dan Campbell um, came out this week, earlier this week, I think on Tuesday and said like, okay, he's, I think <laughs> I, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something to the effect of, okay, he has his first game under him. Now he'll get more touches. Um, and it was like, oh, <laughs> I thought you said it was going to be like this gradual thing. So I don't know where his, eventual you know the exposure rate from the field is going to end up but he's a very interesting piece because you know we talk about the kind of deficiencies of the seattle defense high rate of cover two they run some tampa two they're looking to uh basically work outside in and what they were missing last year was the linebackers they didn't have the linebacking core to be athletic enough to drop into coverage out of tampa two mm -hmm. They didn't have the athleticism to kind of step forward and stop the run um, in jumbo packages. So now that Bobby Wagner is back, now that they uh, brought in Uchenna Nuosu, um, it's a different feel to this this core of this this defense. Um, do you think they're going to continue struggle just from a um, from how they balance their defensive scheme? Do you think they're going to continue to struggle over the middle of the field, pass catching running backs? Uh, tight ends, slot type wide receivers. Well, I, I think especially with getting Devin Witherspoon back, probably this maybe as early as this week, it looks like he was trending towards playing. Uh, he did get some practice time last week. They just adds another like young athletic boundary corner, right? Like, so it's it's almost like the Jets rule, right? Like the Jets are so good on the outside, like it just inherently pushes things to the middle of the field. And I think that's yeah. kind of what we have with what Seattle's building is like they're just going to have these two cornerbacks that are going to be good. And that's obviously projecting on Devin Witherspoon. But, you know, that they're hoping to have like these just the two elite lockdown guys. And that just is inherently going to force things to the middle of the field. And what do the Lions inherently want to do offensively? Like all of the guys they have on the field – because week one just highlighted another 
thing with the Lions is that like they don't, and they're probably hoping Jamison Williams is the guy, but they don't have that guy either. Like we talked about the Bills, like where is that vertical yeah. outside guy? So we know where the Lions are gonna are gonna attack them, and where Ben Johnson's good at scheming things up too. So, yeah. and when I think about Ben Johnson and what he's able to scheme up with guys like Amon Ra, it's just an extension of what Seattle kind of faced last week, right, with Sean McVay. And like what he was able to scheme up, and Matthew Stafford was in his bag. Matthew Stafford played an impeccable game last yeah. week, uh, um, but that's kind of like this, the, almost like a similar tree where like Ben Johnson is. I, I have a lot more faith in what Ben Johnson's going to be able to do uh, inherently, even them knowing, like the 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 Seahawks knowing what the Lions want to do. I just feel like Ben Johnson is going to have an advantage still. Yeah, and what's so interesting to me about Ben Johnson and the situation in. Detroit is we're all like oh they're just waiting for Jameson Williams to come back they have a guy that runs a 4-3-2-40 who is their kick returner who they did not hardly <laughs> they play him. they didn't play him at all in week one it's like <laughs> that downfield guy is Khalif Raymond like you have him on the roster why don't you play him it's going to open up so much underneath but no we'll run with uh, Josh Reynolds and uh, Marvin Jones I was just I was watching that game and I was just kind of scratching my head like it's very clear what what you could do and what you I don't know I'm, I'm no NFL offensive coordinator head coach I'm not gonna say should but from the outside looking in it looks like they kind of have that piece there on the roster and they're not utilizing it so they extended him too he got a contract extension no they got two years uh yeah I don't know uh yeah that's uh I agree here <laughs> Reynolds is okay Reynolds has at least some performance mm -hmm. um when given the opportunity under his belt you look at that four week stretch last year. Uh, where Josh Reynolds um, was playing pretty some pretty good football. Um, what I saw in week one was significant mental lapses from Josh Reynolds, from Marvin Jones. Um, you saw a couple of times pre-snap, um, we had Jared Goff was like, this side of the formation, he's like showing Josh Reynolds and Marvin Jones like they're lined up in the wrong spot. We saw multiple drops from those two. So that's kind of not what we want to see. Um, but yeah, those both of those guys at this point in their respective careers are not like Marvin Jones used to be. He used to be able to get downfield in a hurry. Uh, not anymore. So that's interesting to me. Kind of still playing around with where I land in that game environment. But um, it's probably going to come down to expected exposure from the field for me. And I think the way that I'd like to attack that spot the most is through that unique pairing that you talked about earlier um, with DK Metcalf and bringing it back with jameer gibbs um any oh by the ways from that game environment no that's that's pretty much it i don't think that i'm gonna get to gino uh yeah just, it's such a good quarterback slate yeah and we you talk about like the theoretical components of the the state of the quarterback position and it's like such a high hit rate of top overall or top three we'll say weekly wide or quarterback production comes from kind of the top seven eight guys so when you have more of them on a slate, you need more of them to fail to put the slate out of reach in order for some of these paydown options to be viable. Um, and obviously, yes, there's a lot. That's that's a a, a very in-depth equation because you're considering point for dollar production. You're considering what that opens up the rest of your roster, all that stuff that we simply don't have the computing power to do right now. Um, but from a theoretical standpoint, that's kind of how I like to think about it is more good players on the slate means they all more numbers have to fail to really put the slate out of reach for those kind of lower price options to be viable. Um, let's talk about 
You know what? I want to talk about real quick the Chargers and Titans because this game uh, total is right under kind of that magic uh, range around 47 points. Currently sitting at 45. Oh, I just reminded myself something. I'll come back to that. <laughs> this game environment is sitting right around 45 and a half. But before we get into that one, quickly on these, the Seattle and Lions game again while we were talking about it. This game opened at a 50.5 total. And it was almost immediately bet down to 47.0, bounced off that magic range to 47.5, and, and now it's back down to 47. So the, the overall like market feel is that this game is likelier to underperform its expectations, obviously, when you take into betting, take into account betting trends. Um, any last thoughts on, on kind of what we're seeing from the betting market from that game? Yeah, I think it's mostly like run out from the Seattle side, right? And then you lose both tackles throughout the week. Yeah, you know they're not going to play, and I those spots are always just going to get hit, right? Like, and 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 this isn't just a thing with Seattle. That's a one game thing. You go back to the back half of last year; they're now three and seven their past ten games. Like, yeah. So this isn't just like a, uh, you know, it's an extended sample. Like maybe they played a little bit ahead of like their overall talent level at the start of last year, and that's kind of swung back, and they're a little. The, they just basically they overachieved the front of last year is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. All right, sorry about that. Uh, quick detour no, no. back to the back to the Chargers and Titans. Um, very clear avenues of attack, I think, from this game. I'm going to talk real quickly about the Chargers side, and then I'll throw it over to you to get kind of your thoughts here. Um, but on the Chargers side, we all the talk off season, all off season was Kellen Moore is coming. They're going to attack downfield more. This is going to be great. <laughs> oh, I love Kellen Moore, and then they come out and run the football 500 times in week one against uh, the Miami dolphins. Um, in my mind, I think that we might see some overreaction to those week one tendencies from Kellen Moore and um, this chargers team. And then now you take into account previous coaching tendencies with Kellen Moore um, in Dallas and their matchup against the Titans team who has been no lower than sixth um, in yards allowed per carry over the last three years to opposing backfields. They ranked first um, last year, sixth, the year before. This is a team that we kind of know their identity on defense. They're going to basically tempt you to throw via stacked boxes. They're going to be cheating safeties down. Um, they play a lot of zone behind that, um, but they're really, really looking to clamp down on the run. And that kind of has carried over into this season. We saw... We talked about it last week, how Jamal Williams was probably some of the more fragile chalk that we've seen in a while. Yeah. Um, matchup was not there. Yes, he was going to get the, the opportunities, but it was a very, very difficult matchup. And now this week, coming off of a week where Kellen Moore just ran the football because that's what he was being shown from Miami um, and Vic Fangio. Now it's like they have the exact opposite look, basically where we can kind of expect Tennessee to clamp down on the run. And that could lead to some lower expected roster ship numbers from the Chargers pass catcher. So I'm highly intrigued in that situation. What are you seeing about this game environment? Yeah, I think that's the the huge signal is just like, you know, you're, we're, we might not have Austin Eckler available for this game either. Yeah. It's like kind of the last piece like we're waiting on today to kind of be revealed. Does he practice? Does he end up going? Because uh, then we're in the same position with Jamal Williams that we were in with Josh Kelly last week. Like we're going to let the field go for, go after that. 
uh, you know, and, and play Josh Kelly in that spot because he's not going to get the receiving run out. You know, what's funny is I, I've had this take for multiple years because, you know, I work with Warren and Warren's had a big like thing about Joe Lombardi and Justin Herbert yeah. being out for years. And I, my big takeaway is I'm not absolving Joe Lombardi. I don't think he did a good job and put this offense in position to, to actually max out and succeed. But when the crux of your passing game targets go to your slot receiver and a running back, your depth of targets never going to be high. Like it just won't. So like when the two yeah. players that command the most targets in this offense are Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, they're still only so high or ADOT can rise. And that was the thing issue in week one again, right? Like your two primary passing game targets were Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. Mike Williams leave, leaves that game for a section. Josh Palmer is still ahead of Quentin Johnston. The, the Chargers don't have any vertical players. Like your ADOT can't go yeah. up if the receivers that command targets don't command targets downfield. And that's been like a, a big Herbert ADOT thing. Like, and that's why they added Quentin Johnson, who uniquely actually in college wasn't like a downfield guy. He was more yeah. of like a, a near the line of scrimmage, like yak guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. guy, yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll see like kind of what manifests over the course of the season. But like right now, the Chargers primary guys are still those guys. We remove Eckler from the board. Now we get a chance to see like Mike Williams in this new role because they had told us all offseason Mike Williams is going to be deployed in a different capacity than he ever was in his career. And that actually was true in week one for the snaps he was on the field. Mike Williams played in the slot 43% of his snaps in week one. His 2022 rate was 13%. Like that's, you know, he's tripling his career rate. Yeah. So what that does for a guy like Mike Williams is gives him more efficiency smoothing targets like paired with the targets we know he can command downfield in man coverage in one-on-one -on -one situations because Mike Williams, when he only had to rely on those types of targets, it makes him a volatile producer, right? But now we can sprinkle in, say, all right, if he's going to be in the slot more, we can get some more of these uh, diverse route tree that gives him these easier targets or not say easier, but these targets that come with a higher success rate. Uh, it takes a guy that's a volatile player and it gives him a little more stability. And then you pair him with this matchup of the Chargers aren't going to rush for 240 yards in the tight ends. They're going to probably have to drop back and, and throw more. When you look at teams and their actual like run pass splits and neutral game scripts against the Titans, uh, they're in the top two the past three years. So it's going to be a big drop back game. And if Eckler doesn't play, easily the guy that stands out from like an upside stance because people are going to get to Keenan Allen anyways is, mm -hmm. is Big Mike. Yeah, that's a, an equation that I've been working through because I noticed those um, slot snap discrepancies. And obviously, if Mike Williams is seeing more time in the slot, I checked Keenan Allen's slot rate and it was far down from his, you know, last three years or even if you want to go over his entire career. Um, and typically when you talk about what you need, I don't like to use salary multipliers because that's much more of like a cash game mentality. Mm -hmm. um, in GPPs, we're all about raw points, right? We need points on the board to, to win a GPP. So this discussion about Keenan Allen and his historical price over the last three seasons, he's typically priced up for median. And that typically is a better on paper cash game play. But now that he is seeing more slots out wide, he is running more deep uh, routes that are less um, upside limiting, we'll say, um, to kind of compare to what he has been running in the past. And, you know, his first reception in week one went for 36 yards, um, kind of fizzled off after that. But this this whole equation of Keenan Allen has really been a stay away in GPPs for me for the better part of the past three seasons because he's priced for his median when a guy like Mike Williams is out there who can put up six catches for 100 plus yards and two touchdowns type pro profile. Um, that's kind of being blended a little bit in uh, in this new offense. 
Um, so I'm interested to see where the ownership kind of lands in this offense uh, for week two. And I'll most likely have the highest exposure on whoever is lower owned between right. uh, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. I agree with you. I think it's going to be Mike Williams. He's priced at only 5,700. He's in that like, he's in that range where it feels uncomfortable to play a wide receiver. You know, it, right. it, he, the players in that range don't have the median, but they still have access to the ceiling, which is awesome for GPPs. Um, also, Christian Fulton uh, is hurt in this game too. Uh, one thing to watch coming into Sunday. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Love that. Love that shout as well. What about the other side of this game? We kind of hit the yeah, charger. This, this is the fun heavily. Yeah, let's talk about this for a little bit. I have some unique takes, but I'm going to hear yours first. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know how many people watched the the Titans game, but man, Ryan Tannehill played a, like an all time dud. He was That's arguably one of the football. worst quarterbacks of the, the, the weekend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he probably should have threw at least two more interceptions, and he missed a wide open touchdown to Chickaconquo. Uh, he jammed the ball so much into DeAndre Hopkins. Even Mike Vrabel said something about it after the game. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it looks like Hopkins is coming in with like a bum ankle. He got hurt like kind of last play of the game. So do we get this opportunity with Traylon Burks? Because I think even if Traylon Burks is like out there in a game where clearly the Titans are probably going to have to score points, people are going to just not be excited to play him. And, but he was on the field a ton, and it's like I feel like you just have to kind of like swallow it. Like that type of usage that Traylon Burks had last week, he didn't have the targets, but he, he led the team in pass routes run. Uh, we seen him pop a little bit towards the end of last year before Ryan Tannehill got hurt. Like if DeAndre Hopkins is out, people might be able to get there a little bit, but I still people like won't play him as much as maybe they should. And then we could talk about the backfield, but I'll at least let you piggyback off of you know Traylon Burks and see what we're, we're going to do there. But I think the backfield's interesting as well. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, quickly on the pass catchers, Traylon Burks uh, was on the field the, the highest rate. I mean, th this team only ran uh, 63 offensive plays, um, so that's a little bit lower than league average, what we've seen over the previous two or three seasons. Um, but he was on the field the most. Obviously, some of that has to do with the injury picked up by DeAndre Hopkins. But DeAndre Hopkins, at this point in his career, is a very – I don't want to use – bad but interesting fit with ryan Tannehill, who is more of a timing quarterback he doesn't like throwing into pressure um and mm -hmm. at this point deandre hopkins is a body control and positioning and high point and win at the at the point of attack um type wide receiver and he's not he's no longer generating the same separation that he was earlier in his career but yeah so that kind of just from a macro standpoint stood out to me from the moment that he was signed it's like, oh, I'm kind of interested to see how this works out because it's not a very like good on paper fit. Yeah, um, if you saw the, the 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 early targets, I mean, the first interception Tannehill threw was like uh, where he tried to force like a, a back shoulder throw, and then yeah. he almost threw another one on the same route. It's the same thing. He's trying to throw a contested, and that's never been Tannehill's game, right? Like throwing the contested catch ball. Yeah. Real quick, Michelle asked this question: PPR flex need ceiling two two locket Dotson monster Shahid. Uh, for me, just real quick, we're going to talk about him here in a little bit, but for me, it's Dotson. Uh, what do you think, Lord Reeves? Yeah, that one's interesting. It's a lot of guys like in just like a similar like tier. I would lean, I would lean Dotson as well. Lockett would be kind of like the next guy. I, Shahid, we got to find a way to get this guy on the field more. Like yes. we've got like oh a, we've got like a, a two-year sample now where like the dude is just instant like explosion. And uh, he still ran 10 fewer pass routes than Michael Thomas. Like we got, just got to find a way to get him on the field more. 
Yeah, and Derek Carr led the league in week one in average intended air yards. But Dotson's getting that matchup, uh, the same cornerback matchup that Jacoby yes. Myers took advantage of yep. last week. So we'll at least we'll at least put that to the to the test uh, for a week. Yeah. But we'll at least see. But yeah, um, maybe there's a chance like you know uh, P two guards him. But I, I will say this yeah. though about the Washington very uninspiring you know offensive performance by Washington in week one. Yeah, so I want to talk about that game. That's going to be one of the game environments we're going to cover here in one minute. So Suzanne and Michelle, if your question is not answered, hit us up on Twitter. But I promise you, we'll or I will, we'll try to get to that uh, in more in depth from behind the numbers here in a minute. Um, back to the Tennessee Titans. So when I look at the state of this team and kind of what the pieces are asked to do, Traylon Burks is very clearly kind of this um, more natural Z type role that he was playing in year one alongside AJ Brown. Um, you know, they tried to make him an X type possession, E type wide receiver last year that didn't work very well. Um, but now coming into this season, he's allowed to kind of be who he is with the addition of Deandre Hopkins. So, um, but I think the most integral piece to this offense in what he's asked to do on a weekly basis and, and what he means to this offense is actually Nick Westbrook Akine, who this is the guy that they're using in the downfield role to manipulate safeties. He's able to run any number of routes on the route tree. He's not just confined to running the seven to nines. He's running posts. He's running comebacks. He's running outs. He's running crossers. He's running basically the meat and potatoes of a route tree that we would kind of want. But he also has that downfield role. And his ability to produce we'll say it like this his ability to produce on what could be moderate volume is very very interesting to me i think he's priced at 3300 this week um so if the titans are coming out and trying to win this game it's going to be heavy derrick henry and it's going to be some shots downfield and if they take those shots downfield i think miami kind of proved the point here that this charger secondary is still ill-equipped to deal with it from a schematic. I mean, on paper, their defense is is solid top to bottom. Um, they're solid up front. They're solid in the linebacking core. They're solid in the secondary. But schematically, they're still giving up these chunk plays. So um, Nick Westbrook, Akine, is highly interesting to me if you're going all the way down um, from this game environment. But tell me real quick about Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, I just think if you look at – if the run out here that the, you believe the Titans cover and win this game or can have a shot to win this game, it's going to be probably not them trying to outpace the Chargers. Yeah. Right. It's going to be because these teams played last year and it was kind of a, they sl- they were able to slow the game down and hang around as that Tannehill hurt his knee at one point in the game and kind of exited, came back. But that's like the game that they want to play if they're going to be competitive here at home. Uh, so people brought up the snaps, you know, Tajay Spears played more snaps yeah. than Derrick Henry. But this is kind of like a trap you can fall into with snaps because all the usage was still Derrick Henry's. Like yeah. all the touches still went to Derrick Henry. Uh, you know, it was a, he had a low snap rate, but he still had 82% of the backfield touches. Anytime that, that a guy touched out of the ball out of the backfield, it was still him. So I still think when you're looking at where we want to attack these Chargers, you know, it's still in the run game. They were good against the run in week one, relatively speaking. You know, the Dolphins really didn't even try to run in mm-hmm. that game. Uh, but if if you believe the run out is that the Titans hang around here and they have a chance to win this game, it's probably going to be on the strength of Derrick Henry. Uh, so, I mean, he has to be like kind of at least like thought of 
in like, like I said, because the running back landscape is literally Christian McCaffrey. And yeah. we're going to have to make some of these uncomfortable plays at the top from these guys that have ceilings, like the Josh Jacobs as a huge road dog or Derrick Henry uh, at the top Horrible. here to kind of comp- compete. Yeah. Uh, I've, been, I've been playing a lot around with this week, playing both of those guys on rosters because the field is just not going to be doing that. Um, the only thing nope. I have to add on Derrick Henry, because um, you absolutely crushed that from what I'm seeing, is Derrick Henry had 18 touches on 30 snaps. That's a 60% touch-to-snap ratio, which is unheard of. It's insane. So if those snaps increase, which I think based on the opponent, and you like their opponent in Week 1 in the Saints – they are a tough run defense. So it kind of makes sense to lighten the load a little bit on, on your King. Um, This could be his last season in the league. Um, His contract is up after this year. I think they're going to ride him as the season progresses more and more as we start to uh, start to get more into the swing of football. So I like that call playing uh, this two like mid to high price tier, or we'll, we'll say sub elite pricing tier running backs is highly intriguing to me. Um, we'll, I'll talk about more about that, uh, at one week season, especially because week one, like, you know, if we had come into this trend, like week one, that tier of running back was the most popular in week one and it didn't pay out. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and, but also like they're, even when you look at the landscape this week, like a lot of guys in that area, like they don't, they're not objective good plays though, either. So like, it's tough. I mean, uh, I do kind of want to bring up the, 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 the bears bucks games too, but like we're in that another spot too. Like, are you going to eat like a huge chunk of your, like your, your core on like a guy like Rashad white again, are you going to do it with, you know, we talked talk about Jameer Gibbs in that price zone, David Montgomery's in that price zone, yeah. kind of walkers in that price zone. Like, are we going to chase that tier of guys that, like you said, like maybe don't have the greatest median outcomes, they have more volatile, or are we going to go after these just like high workload backs that we know like Josh Jacobs is going to get a ton of touches. We know Derrick Henry when he's on the field is going to get a ton of touches. And like those guys aren't going to be rostered. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a, it's a very interesting, it creates a very interesting dynamic to this slate um, because it provides multiple paths for you to uh, kind of make your way along the game tree. Uh, highly theoretical here. Uh, if you're interested in more theoretics, check me out. Yeah, one Saquon's, Saquon's in that boat too, right? Like we know yeah. Saquon's going to get a ton of touches this week and he's probably not going to be highly rostered. Yeah. Yeah. Against the Cardinals too. Uh, that's an interesting situation too. I don't know if we're going to have enough time to get to that game environment, but that's an interesting one as well. Um, you said that you wanted to touch on, uh, who was it? The I forget. Who yeah, did you Bears, Bears, Bucks. Yeah, let's, let's do go two to weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row on the Buccaneers. Let's go, dude. Baker doubles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, listen, week one showed us that the Bears still have like a huge problem defensively. They've yeah. they've now allowed 25 points or more in 11 straight games going back to last year. It's the longest streak for a team since 2016. All-time record of that is, is 13. Uh, we did see like the, the, the Buccaneers didn't set the world on fire, but on the road in a favorable matchup, they proved to be functional. And yeah. like, that's all we're looking for in like these types of matchups. And now they're getting another one of these good matchups at home as a favorite. Uh, listen, if Rashad White can't hit here, he's never happening. But, yeah. you know, we talked about Mike Evans last week and we got the touchdown. Like, this is just another spot with, with a Christian Watson left uh, missing out of the Packers offense. They still allowed almost, you know, 9.1 yards for pass attempt to Bears. Like, yeah. they're going to give up efficiency. Uh, and it still looks like a big problem for them. So, the Bucks have to be live again, right? Like they just have to be. And maybe Baker can steal some more defensive signals this week. And I think Justin Fields in this particular matchup is really intriguing because 
Justin Fields is one of these quarterbacks that has like a true 30 point game in his range of outcomes. Uh, and then what does Todd Bowles do to approach this, right? Is Todd Bowles as aggressive as Todd Bowles has been historically? And yeah. in week one, the Buccaneers blitzed Kirk Cousins 42.6% of the time. It was the highest rate in the league. But going back to last season, Justin Fields has been incredible against the Blitz. Uh, 105.4 rating, seventh in the NFL. The Packers blitzed Justin Fields just 15 times in week one. And on those dropbacks, he went 9 of 11, 96 yards, 8.7 yards or past them with his touchdown. But when you make Fields have to be a quarterback that holds the football and make reads, that's where he has struggled. Uh, yeah. Since the start of last year, uh, when teams do not blitz and they play zone coverage, He's 33rd in passer rating. I just told you he was, you know, had 105 rating. He's 105 rating. Splits. He's thrown three touchdown passes in that environment on 266 dropbacks. Like, absolutely <laughs> insane. So what does Todd Bowles do? Does Todd Bowles look at that and say, hey, I'm going to call the dogs off. Let's play some coverage against this kid. Or does Todd Bowles do what Todd Bowles does and get aggressive? Because if he does that, then he plays in kind of one of the strengths of the that Justin Fields has shown as a passer in early his career. And he hasn't shown many strengths as a passer, but it has been a strength. And it was even in week one when he let down. And we know the rushing kind of always exists too if you're going to rush, uh, you're going to send heat at a guy like Justin Fields. So he's going to be interesting because he's probably going to be a guy too, like a lot, a lot of people get to, especially on DraftKings. Um, but he does yeah. have like a true like 25 to 30 point ceiling. And we've shown like quarterbacks – don't necessarily have that the last couple of years because of the defensive meta that we talked about. Right. Like, and we haven't even Tua only had what he got the 30, right? Like that was kind of yeah. last, last week. We didn't have that run out. So I'm, mean, I'm looking at Justin Fields and to some game sacks in this because of, you know, Todd Bowles, MO. Like he's not gonna be like a core guy that like I look to get into any cash environments or anything. But I do think when we're looking at stacking this game, Justin Fields, what he represents from a searching from ceiling, uh stance yes, sir. has that has that here that's super interesting and that's something i hadn't even got to this week so i love i love the the, the way that we structured this show in that we don't talk before we get on here and we're just come in and we're throwing ideas and kind of overall analysis of macro perspectives uh, around and seeing what sticks and uh, i think a lot of interesting aspects come from that so if you're listening, throw a like, throw a retweet, get us uh, some more eyes on the show because this is really cool stuff that we're doing. Um, really, really like that Fields call. That's awesome. I've not gotten there at all this week. Um, I now, mean, odds are like probability that games in the low 40s isn't fun. But, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> it has passed. It has passed. Um, and when we talk about how does a game environment erupt, and I, I keep harping on this, a game environment erupts from individual talent. I mean, it's not, yes, coaching tendencies, they play a role and pace mm -hmm. of play, all that stuff plays a role, but it is individual talent that sets, that kind of is the spark that ignites a game it's environment. Kill. Yeah, and you look at like, the, the, the example that I like to use is last year, um, Baltimore against Miami. You mm -hmm. look at that game, like obviously we know those offenses have the pieces, they have the play calling, they have the talent to perform in this kind of shootout type game environment. But the spark that provided that, uh, that ignited that game environment was an opening kickoff return from Devin Duvernay. It set the tone for the game. The game was sparked and now it was over to kind of how this team was, were going to handle it. So I like that call. We know that Justin Fields can kind of be that spark. Um, and that's a very interesting situation to play around with. I think um, let's move over to what we promised we would get to here. Um, in this Denver and Washington game, you look at this Denver defense, 
And we talked about the amount of pressure we expect Josh Allen to see um, the Raiders pressuring only 10.8% in week one. Denver Broncos were dead last in pressure rate mm-hmm. in week one at just 6.9%. So you talk about a guy having additional time, and that's a start in stark contrast to this Arizona Cardinals defense who generated six sacks. They looked functional. They looked like um, Jonathan Gannon and his his shallow too high shell uh, con- is able to confuse quarterbacks still um, and mask kind of the relative lack of talent that they have on that defense. Um, stark contrast now to a Denver unit that was not able to generate pressure. Um, how do you see that influencing Sam Howell and these commanders this week? Yeah, Denver was not only did they have the lowest pressure rate, but they had the lowest pressure rate when not blitzing. So like their their natural pass rush was just non-existent. Like, you know, they they couldn't even they can't get pressure with with the down four. So that's what you always look for too to like get like a true sense of like pressure. And they just had no guys winning against the Raiders offensive line. Uh, The Washington offensive line also isn't very good. uh, And that's a problem. I had big problems with Washington big picture when they started to get steamed up in the preseason because their schedule is really hard. And this offense still like doesn't inspire a lot of faith. And I think week one didn't really instill a lot more faith as well. You know, Sam Howell is still like a little bit of a scattershot performer. The highs are really good. The lows are, are pretty low, obviously, with the with the fumble six, uh, not protecting the football, eating a lot yeah. of sacks. Um, and just like this offensive line is a, is a worry for me, big picture, too. I don't know if it's, like I said, going to show up here because Denver was so bad against the Raiders offensive line. They were good against the run, I will say, but they weren't good at generating any pressure. And Brian Robinson, as much of a good story is and a guy you want to root for, like there's just no juice. There's just no juice. efficiency, yeah. It's just and so like, where are we gonna get the the like the, the the consistency that like Jimmy G facilitated right? Like, is Sam Howell gonna be the guy that like keeps this offense like playing ahead of the sticks? And I don't know, right? Like, I think that's the question because he couldn't do it last week, and I just don't know if he's that type of quarterback, right? Like, I feel yeah. like Sam Howell is gonna be like a sugar high quarterback, like the. You're, like you're going to be feel really good, like when you do get the splash plays, but like the down to down efficiency isn't there, and that's like how the Raiders won that game last week. Asking Sam Howell to be that structure of quarterback, I think, is a lot tougher to ask. Um, but we know the receivers are good here. Uh, they also played Logan Thomas a ton of snaps, which I think is yeah really weird. Uh, it just that's no upside darling. there. Yeah, there's just no upside, right? Like when Brian yeah. Robinson and Logan Thomas are like occupying like the crux of like your touches, like the offense just isn't going to be like that great. Yeah. Along that same line of discussion, Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel led the team in targets in week one. I would expect if I'm Denver game planning for this game, I would expect to have Pat Sertan um, more in a loose shadow. I wouldn't expect him to to be a true island type uh, matchup with um, Terry McLaurin, but I'd expect him to see the most of Terry McLaurin. We kind of saw how that exposed the secondary corners and the safeties. Um, in week one with Jacoby Myers. I like Jahan Dotson, who is this touchdown magnet. This guy is a, he came into the league, one of my favorite pro ready type wide receivers, kind of proved that with his touchdowns uh, last season. But this is a guy who can, you know, put up five for 80 and two touchdowns on seven or eight targets um, in this spot, I think in this matchup. So I like his ceiling extremely low median, extremely low floor, uh, but he's priced in a range where you can kind of accept some of those 
um, some of that uncertainty and get access to a fairly significant ceiling um, for minimal cost. Um, anything less to or left to wrap up in that game environment? Yeah, no, not so much. I mean, we're, it yeah. looks like we're, it looks like Jerry Judy is going to play, so we'll see. I mean, it, the, the Marvin Mims experiment looked like it was <laughs> it still needs a lot more to go. I mean, he ran fewer pass routes than little Jordan Humphrey, who came up the day they called him up the day before, yeah. and Brandon Johnson. He only ran Marvin Mims only ran ten pass routes in that game, and Dulcich left that game early. Um, we're going to get a full run out for Troutman, but is Troutman just more than like a punt? Like, we, like he doesn't really fit like the crux of like what we're looking for in this show. Yeah, if Jerry Judy is, or if this game environment is going to erupt away from you know talking about uh, onesie twosies or one offs and and put the potential for Jahan Dotson, it's going to be through Jerry Judy um, and how Washington would respond to that. Um, but there's very few paths for this game environment to truly erupt. I'm more so interested in like yeah. a, a random one off of of Jahan Dotson or nothing. Um, anything to wrap up here before we kind of uh, fade off into the wind for week two. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what else uh, stands out this week on this landscape. We kind of got the the main ones out there, and like you talked about the little bit about the Tua situation last year with like you know the talent erupting. I think that's literally what's going to draw people back to like Bengals Ravens, which we didn't like get in depth on. But yeah, uh, similar thing. Like people are going to go back to the Bengals because of you know the historical trends for Joe Burrow, not only in Week One but against the Browns, uh, the weather. Uh, and they're going to get back to Chase and, and Higgins. It, it, that's a hard double to run because he eats so much salary. And then yeah, uh, you don't get you do have a couple runbacks in the uh, the Ravens side that are cheap. Uh, you know you can't do it with Andrews at all. Like you can't run Andrews back with those two in a double. Uh, but you can say Flowers is still pretty Zay, cheap on yeah. both sides. And then you know whatever running back you're going to really kind of take a shot on with the Ravens. Uh, I don't know if you are, but that's like the only paths you have to like fully like game stacking that game. Uh, because everyone's just so damn expensive still. Yeah, hundred percent. The uh, and on the the Cincinnati Bengals double real quick. It's very rare that we see both of them hit together. It's typically T is getting yes. there through volume and multiple touchdowns, or it's Jamar getting there on a broken run for you know his his patented 60, 70 yard touchdown uh, on a slant. Um, those two are hitting together very rarely. So a rule that I've been kind of using over the past season and a half is one or the other paired with Joe Burrow, um, very rarely running both of them. Um, no, we did not talk about this one. We just ran out of time. I know. I wish we could just go for three hours. Uh, trust me, Rich and I would, yeah, (laughs) he would, if we could, um, but If you're new here, we do this every Friday. We're going to be here every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. So tune in on Searching for Ceiling, presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. Until next time, y'all, we'll see ya. One Week Season.